from inside a house full of vampires, it's the IGN DigiGuys. So please welcome the world's most dangerous predators, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Hello, hello, is this thing on? Hi, there we you, go. <laughs> you're asking the wrong guy. Is it? <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. Absolutely is. We're off to a rousing start. So you're, you're going to New York, aren't you? I am going to New York. Yeah. It's going to be exciting. I already have a reservation for Peter Luger's. Oh, nice. Steakhouse. Never been. Nice. The iconic New York Steakhouse Fantastic. in Brooklyn. And uh, meeting two high school friends there. Good deal. And they're still friends with you. There they are. That's amazing. Actually, one we talked about last week. Yeah. Uh, my friend Phil, who I took to the Family Guy mobile app party. Mm. Where uh, Phil got cock blocked in his attempt to get Adam West's autograph. What is that? Nurse 3D. It's a movie that reminds me of Phil. <laughs> Why is that? I don't know. It just does. Maybe maybe it'll occur to you while we're talking about it later. I, I, in fact, you know what? I have to pull, I have to pull up. I've got to pull. Oh my gosh! I have to pull up a, an email that <laughs> that's just absolutely what are you priceless. Doing? What is going on? You, you'll find out. Hold on, hold on, hold on. It's just the most priceless thing in the world. Should I be talking about something? Should I be vamping in some? Uh, no, hold on, extent? hold on, hold on. Uh, oh my gosh! This is just the funniest email ever. No, hold on. <laughs> when when we get to this, because I had to talk about Nurse 3D on the radio with Tim, uh, and. Um, Tim sent me an email. You know, we were going back and forth after what we've seen because that's how you do on film week. You know, it's like, have you seen this? You got this. You try to sort of put your thoughts together ahead of time so that you know you can make for a tight show. Tim wrote me an email that just absolutely crucified me. It was so funny after he saw <laughs> Nurse 3D. It's one of the funniest emails I think I've ever gotten. Uh, I'm going to have to find it anyway. So before we get to that, Mark, I guess I'm waiting for the show to start. Have you have you ever heard of Todd Oliver? Do you know who this guy is? Uh, he's, uh, I, I, he looks, uh, gay. <laughs> he, he really? What, what, what did, did, did Rock Hudson look gay? No, I know what you're saying. He's, he, he looks he, like... He looks effeminate. Yes, he does. He, he did Todd Oliver, funny dog. Uh, what? This guy's not funny. This is what we're starting with? He, well, I'm just, no, I, I just want to get this out of the way because it's like this, this came to us, uh, from Inception and, uh, I've never heard of this guy and he's a comedian. He's allegedly a, an, a nationally known comedian who has talking dogs. He's like, what? And he's done, he's done like, a, I mean, they, they, he's done like a million, perform- a million appearances on television. I've never heard of him. Apparently Letterman loves him. Uh, he's a ventriloquist, basically, right? The dogs don't talk, just so you understand. He's, it's, 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 a, it's a ventriloquist deal. He's got a ventriloquist dummies as well. And, you know, you can, but he, he, like, uses dogs as well. But it's like, What? And they, they quote Penn and Teller here as loving him, and I've never heard of the guy. I've never seen him. I watch late night television all the time, or at least I used to, and I've never heard of the guy. Anyway, he's okay. He's he's better than the other ventriloquists that we have right now. Like, uh, who's that guy that annoys me so much? Who's just dreadful? We talk about it all the time on this podcast. He's horrible. Oh, the guy who does all the Vegas shows. Yeah, he was oh, on. Um, he oh, was on awful. like uh, Star Search or something, or The oh, Voice so, or something. So terrible. He's so you... annoying. And who was the black guy who did stuff in the eighties and then went away? Michael Winslow? No, 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 no. The, the, the ventriloquist guy, the guy with the, with the big mustache. He used, um, he used to wear a hat, that black dude. You remember, you remember him? Melly Melstein? No, no. Oh, no, 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 you're going to make me look it up. He you know, was, by the way, while, while you're too. looking it up, I have to tell you something. You need to go to Rolling Stone, or at least do a Google search, because somebody hilariously reimagined... Willie Tyler and Lester. That's right. Thank you. 
they reimagined Game of Thrones as a 70s sitcom. Oh my gosh, who did and this? It was uh, some guy. And it's, if you go to Rolling Stone, that's where I saw it. It's a, okay. minute, and a, it's a minute and a half. Okay. And it reimagines the opening of Game of Thrones as if it was like an opening from a 70s sitcom. And it's hilarious. Oh my gosh, so I gotta, you gotta watch that. You gotta just Google Game of Thrones 70s sitcom. Okay. And uh, Garrison Dean is the guy's name. Sweet. And it is hilarious. All right. I'm all into it. I'm all into it. So, Mark, here's what I want to start with this week. Uh, three criterions. Three criterions that are just absolutely magnificent. This, uh, I mean, well, two of them are magnificent. One of them, it's a magnificent transfer. It's a magnificent set. I will let you explain to me why the movie is as is, is, uh, stunning as it is, uh, or uh, regarded as stunning as it is. But anyway, first up, I just want to say Persona in a DVD and Blu-ray dual format edition from Criterion Collection, this is a moment to celebrate. Do you understand why this is such a huge moment to celebrate? Because one of the great sci-fi films of the 90s? No. Persona, <laughs> Ingmar Bergman's amazing film. I, I wrote a gigantic, psychotic, totally anally retentive essay on this uh, in film school. And uh, I just think this is one of the great films of all time. It's uh, one of Ingmar Bergman's most impenetrable films. It is a short film, believe it or not. It's only 83 minutes long. Sometimes it feels a lot longer. But it is, it is extremely allegorical, very symbolic, very experimental, uh, really, really surreal. Liv Ullman and B.B. Anderson, basically as two women whose lives wind up becoming psychotically intertwined. There's almost no way to really explain the plot of the thing because it's really much more about kind of visual context and, and lots of very, you know, sort of existential subconscious through lines and then it gets super weird. And it, begin, it's, it begins super weird. Um, but the fact that this is now on Blu-ray is something I never actually imagined in a million years would, uh, would happen. So I am elated that Persona is, is out in, uh, in Blu-ray and DVD combo set. Tons of great extras here. Um, you get new interviews with Liv Ullman and uh, Paul Schrader, who, you know, is... Always fun to listen to uh, talking. Archival interviews with uh, Ingmar Bergman, Liv Ullman, and B.B. Uh, uh, Anderson. Um, uh, a lot of uh, on-set footage. Uh, audio commentary uh, by Bergman historian Birgitta uh, Steen. And uh, the best thing on here, which came out fairly recently, it was made in 2012, but it was, uh, it was released only uh, last year, is a documentary called Liv and Ingmar, uh, which is first rate and the fact that that's on here is a super bonus you get that's like a, a twofer it's a great great feature documentary it didn't get a great release last year it should have and uh i think it got a pretty decent release i think it was fairly available as streaming on netflix or one of those services but anyway really great and uh, just tons of stuff now the, let me tell you a story about persona y- you've seen persona uh, years and years ago you remember how persona begins yes it begins with that psychotic montage of just crash images, like shock imagery. Right. Do you remember that very yeah, well? Yeah, sure. Okay, I mean, like, sort of. like, like the one that... Well, first of all, when I, when I taught uh, that semester of film history uh, to, to those kids over at Mount St. Mary's, Persona, I showed them the beginning of Persona. I want to sort of make an... Uh, you know, I, I kind of connected it to Eisenstein and montage and like, okay, let's see what you, what you see. And I showed them that opening montage. And 99 percent of the time, my experience with people seeing that montage 
if you ask them, what do you remember from that montage? They, they don't remember like a lot of individual images, but the one that they always come up with is, oh my gosh, that hand, the crucified the hand, crucified like hand. Hand, Christ's hand with the nail going through it. It's right. just like, it just jars you, right? That's the one I thought, I thought they'd totally jump out at and go, oh yeah, it's the hand being crucified. You know what they came up with? I kid you not, like five students in a row, almost all simultaneously, they're like, oh, there was a penis there. Which, which is, the, is the one thing that most people do not notice. Well, they are college kids. Yeah, that's true. But these were women, and I guess that probably yeah, accounts, for something. Right there, accounts for something anyway. Persona is just amazing. It's a wonderful film. And um, it's, 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 it's psycho, but it's pretty great. From 1966, Ingmar Bergman's Persona from the Criterion Collection. Rock on. And then... Um, we have The Freshman, starring Harold Lloyd, also in a Blu-ray and DVD combo set from uh, Criterion. Uh, this is considered, oftentimes, uh, his greatest film. I mean, a lot of people like Safety First, but no, I gotta tell Freshman's you... Freshman's great. Freshman's pretty great. I love Harold Lloyd. He's Freshman's the best. Freshman's pretty great. And uh, you watch this, and you're like, I think he really is up there with Chaplin and, and Keaton. He is. I love him. I, th- he, right he, I, I enjoy him. I just In terms of sitting down and laughing, yeah. I enjoy Harold Lloyd more yeah. than the others. And the fresh was like that was, that was like his most successful silent film. It really it was it was a it was a huge huge success, and um, it you know Harold Lloyd actually wound up being the most successful of any of them. I mean he he owned half of Los Angeles or a substantial portion of it oh, at one yeah. point. He was a very wealthy man, did much better with his money than uh, than Chaplin or especially Keaton, who got totally taken. Keaton wound up with nothing. But, uh, yeah, lots of great extras here as well. Uh, this is a 4K digital transfer from a 1998 restoration print uh, done over the UCLA Film and Television Archive. Brand new orchestral score conducted uh, and composed by Carl Davis, who is without equal in doing these, uh, these particular scores. Audio commentary uh, featuring Richard Coral, who is a film historian and an expert on Harold Lloyd, along with our good friend Leonard Malton. Yay! And I cannot ever listen to Leonard Malton enough. Leonard is just a pure delight. Uh, he's just the best guy on his feet talking about movies you will, you will ever hear. And uh, tons of other great things. You know, it's a, it's a Criterion set, so you could, just, you could just troll through these extras for, for hours and hours and hours. Really great stuff. There's a visual essay on the film's locations, which is a lot of fun if you know the locations. And uh, footage from a 1963 Delta Kappa Alpha tribute to Lloyd, featuring Steve Allen and Delmer Daves and Jack Lemmon, which is really fun. And uh, it's just great. You just cannot cannot get better than uh, than Harold Lloyd. Now, Mark, more. you got to explain to me. Great beauty. What's the deal? This thing won uh, won an Oscar. It did. I, I love it. It's sumptuous I, and I, it is wildly self indulgent and very Fellini esque. But that's the thing. I don't understand how anybody. I mean, it's two and a half hours long, and I don't understand how anybody could really. I I appreciate it because I've seen La Dolce Vita, but it's so referential of La Dolce Vita that I didn't think anybody in would you know people who are, who are going to watch this. How many people will have seen La Dolce Vita and liked it enough to vote for this and go, oh, I get that? Well, it, does it work if you have not seen La Dolce I, I, Vita? I, think I don't it think it work. does. No, I think it does. You know why? Okay. Because I think, I think the movie is about, is about a guy who's turning 65 and he's looking back on the emptiness of his life. And a lot of people can relate to that. I think there's a certain emptiness right. to this guy's lavish lifestyle that he starts to realize, and I think that a lot of, that would resonate with a lot of people. All right, I guess. I, I shoot me for for not realizing. I that. think it's great. I loved it. Very nicely done, but I am not a huge fan of uh, Paolo Sorrentino, who I think is a very indulgent Italian director. Um, 
he did Il Divo a few years ago, uh, which got a little bit of traction, but I also thought was very indulgent. He's highly stylized. I, I think he really needs to dial it down a little bit. But that being said, who am I? He now has an Academy Award. And his movie, his Academy Award winning movie, is out in a dual format Blu-ray DVD edition from Criterion. Uh, piled on with lots of uh, really cool extras, including a conversation between uh, Sorrentino and an Italian critic named Antonio Monda. Uh, the, uh, the actor who stars in the film interviewed, uh, the screenwriter interviewed, deleted scenes. It's good stuff. Uh, but I still, I mean, I think it's a fine film, but I'm just kind of blown away by how it sort of took everyone by storm. I did not see this thing coming. Well, first of all, it's, you know, you can see how the Academy loves it because it, 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 it's a throwback to a classic film that, you know, yeah, I guess it, it's yeah. somehow like as a tie to a classic sure. era of foreign filmmaking that they Fine. were not part of the Academy to honor. Okay. But that being said, I think it works great on its own. Sure. Sure it does. You know what doesn't work great on its own? What doesn't work? Holliston. Uh, I never really heard of the show until I got this DVD, and it's a, um, it's the story of these guys who just want to get out of their little New England town and be famous. All right, that's all they want to do. It's got a bunch of, you know, okay sitcomy type actors: Adam Green, Laura Oritz, uh, or Ortiz, excuse me, and of course Dee Snyder's in it. And so, uh, yeah. Oh, so the, this is the D. Snyder thing. There's werewolves yeah, yeah, and yeah. zombies, and this you know, is uh, this is uh, this is a uh, it's a this is a, a not Netflix. Is this an Amazon thing? It's it, this is this is uh, I saw this on Bus Benches originally, and 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 we we did this is the second season. Yeah, it, this is the second, the second season. season. Yeah, yes. we 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 covered the first season of this like a year ago. This is like it's coming back to me now. Um, yeah, it's 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 D. Snyder trying to do uh, the the. Uh, it, it, why why is it that the uh, the the night uh, Gavin? Uh, you, you know what I'm talking about. What are you about? talking about? The, the the old Night Stalker. Night Stalker, yes. Yeah, Darren McGavin. Thank yes. you. See my you see you know, see how my brain works. It grabs for it fragments. You know, it's late at night. I, I you know it grabs for fragments. It puts them together. It eventually completes the puzzle. Uh, no, the, why is it that the Night Stalker has like keeps getting redone and reconfigured and reimagined like nine hundred fifty seven thousand different ways? Nine hundred fifty seven thousand. A couple yeah. less than that. Yeah. Anyway, this, this thing, is another one. This this thing is on. It's on Fearnet. Um, that's where it is. That's it. Fearnet. Um, I mean, yeah. I understand why horror fans would get a kick out of it. It's just a new take, a funnier take, yeah. uh, a more kind of postmoderny take sure. on the horror thing. But uh, it's just not that clever. Sorry, right. I think they just need better writers. Um, the complete <laughs> only people who are, who are of a certain age even yes. know who Ken Berry is. Oh, Ken Berry. He was a, he was a sitcom guy from the late sixties, early seventies, a little bit into the eighties. End of the Civil War was near when quite accidentally. F Troop, man, come on! I know he was. So he started F Troop. Um, by the way, he's still around. Uh, he's still around. He's eighty years old. Oh wow! Anyway, um, he's younger May- than Batman. Oh, it's the best. Um, anyway, Mayberry RFD, which was, was a spinoff of the Andy Griffith Show. Yes, Mayberry BFD. <laughs> we did. We used to call it Mayberry BFD. I know. Um, and you know what? Look, Ken Berry, he had a moment. The guy was on Cal Burnett. He was on Mama's Family. Remember he was on Mama's Family? Yeah. Uh, obviously, Andy Griffith and this show, F Troop. So Ken Berry, was, he was a Sweet. dude. And this show, you know, it's okay. It never well, – I mean, it lasted for a few seasons. You know, it lasted for three seasons. Yeah. He did a bunch of episodes, 78. But you never really see it on, on you know, syndicator and reruns. The only way to get it, as far as I know – 
is this DVD collection, mm-hmm. which is only season one. We'll see if they do season two and season three based on how <laughs> they sell. But uh, 26 episodes of Mayberry RFD, make your mother smile by saying it exists. <laughs> Love it. I don't know what that is. That's funny. Yeah, I think that did. Okay. Anyway, Broadchurch is the type of show that, um, that Wade loves. Uh, not so much, actually. Why not? Uh, I don't know. I did, didn't. I, I, I tried kind of getting into it. it, it, eh. it yeah, look, it's it's this, I'll try it's this again. kind of it's it's quirkiest drama thing. It starts with this this kid, preteen kid, who's who's found dead on the beach in this town called Broadchurch, and they've got to investigate it. And who could it be? Mysteries deepen. It could be anybody. And you know, it's uh, it's okay. I like a lot of the stuff that BBC America is doing, you know? Yeah. But I don't know that this is my favorite one. I'm really surprised, actually, that you don't like it. Nah, you know, I don't have the time to re- get into a lot of the stuff. They gotta, it's got to grab me right up. I'm, I'm, I am very excited to uh, catch up with um, uh, Mr. Suffrage, you know, uh, this new season. I'm very excited to sort of sink my teeth into it. That, that Blu-ray should be showing up soon, so I'll be able to plow through that entire season. I think, I think the first season was terrific and ger- best thing Jeremy Piven's ever done because he's not playing, uh, you know, the, 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 the American jerk in it. Well, I mean, he's an American jerk, but it's, you know, he's a period American jerk, so he's, um, you know. You know, Fox it, is supposed to do works, a... Uh, more acceptable. Fox is supposed to do an American version of this, Broadchurch. Oh, that's right. I heard that. I heard that. Well, anyway. Now, wait. Let me tell you something. Yes, sir. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you know, The Great Beauty, Persona, you know, Safety Last. These are classics. Yeah. But really, when you think about classics, you know what you think of? I know. No Holds Barred, starring Hulk Hogan. Sure. The best. All right. This is from 1989, and um, it's terrible. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to say? You know, there was a moment where Hulk Hogan was going to have a film career. And that moment was very short. Actually, there was a moment when a bunch of these uh, wrestlers, like, uh, what was the John Carpenter film that Roddy, Rowdy Roddy Piper was in? They oh, Live. Yeah, they yeah, live? yeah. They, which, which Matt is supposed to remake, you know. Is that right? Now, we'll see if that winds up happening based on, you know, whatever happens with Planet of the Apes. I suspect that that may now become a, a non-project because Planet of the Apes, if it really kicks off this year, is going to propel him into a whole different tier and he's not going to want to be doing a remake of, of They Live. In theory, he's doing a new version of the story or the novella or whatever that they live is based on but it's i, I don't know that that's going to happen mark my words you don't want to be dovetailing from a, a successful planet of the apes sequel into, into uh, you know a remake of they live now according to wikipedia no holds barred debuted at number two behind indiana jones and the last crusade in the weekend it came out yeah that's great now that doesn't make the movie good no also. it does not I want to put that out absolutely there. does not exactly. anyway whatever Okay, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna plow through. Uh, yeah, thank you. I'm gonna plow. No, wait, th- hang on a second. Wait, I have no food yes, for you. Okay, if you want food that I've made, no. The only thing I have for you is granola. No. I made granola. No. Otherwise, all I have is like junk, like chocolate covered pretzels. Nope, not this week. I had enough. Had enough last week to last for like. You that, did. That was, you ate two of my homemade ring dings. That made me sick. Uh, so yeah, I uh, made me sick. So anyway, I'm gonna blow through some documentaries, and then you can uh, tell us why Meryl Streep got another Oscar nomination. The uh, "Let the Fire Burn" uh, from Zeitgeist is a pretty great documentary that somehow didn't actually get a whole lot of traction w- with critics' awards and the Oscars and all that last year. Um, but it's uh, it's quite good from a documentarian named Jason Osder, whom I'm completely not familiar with. Um, but it's uh, this is uh, this is actually really really interesting. 
Um, it's, uh, it, it goes back to 1985, in, where there was this, uh, a particular event in Philadelphia that was captured um, on television. And it was, I don't want to give all this away, but it was a particularly horrific event. And, I mean, really, really horrible. And I only vaguely remember this because I was not living in the country at the time. I, I heard about this in Europe. And so I come, I come to this fairly fresh. And the whole thing is constructed from material that they, back then, television and television footage and ar- archival uh, video footage. And it is, it's really quite extraordinary and very shocking and very disturbing. Um, really great filmmaking, though. Just really great filmmaking. He's not working with anything that he actually shot. He just takes all this old footage and puts it together and reconceptualizes it, reimagines it. Pretty great. Uh, Let the Fire Burn from Zeitgeist. Really good stuff. Um, when Jews Were Funny. Mark, do you remember when Jews Were Funny? Oh, you guys I'm Jewish are, and I'm funny. Not, fun, not anymore. Oh. Not anymore. Not anymore. You're, you're not funny anymore. It's all over. Time's, time's over. No, this is great. This is uh, the history of Jewish comedy in America. And uh, it's, it's fantastic. The, the saddest thing is it features an interview with uh, one of my great comedy gods who recently passed away. And it, it made me... I'm, I'm, tell, I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm kind of choking up right now just because I miss David Brenner. I miss him a lot. I know. Wild, right? I miss him a lot. David Brenner is in this. And it's just... There's a guy who made me laugh so much when I was a kid. So much growing up. Every time he showed up on The Tonight Show, I was so happy. Whether it was a guest, whether it was as a, uh, a guest host, I, it just, it, David Brenner made me happy, and it just makes me sad that he's gone. So it's nice to see him in this. Uh, he is one of many, many, many people interviewed here. Uh, you know, uh, Shecky Green, Shelley Berman, and lots of current con- uh, comics all the way up to the present day. Uh, Jack Carter's in here, David Steinberg, you know, uh, it's just amazing. Uh, and there are people who I wish were in here who unfortunately aren't with us anymore. Um, and a lot of people who should be interviewed in this who aren't, but, uh, it's really, it's still, you know, there are going to be more of these documentaries made. There's the documentary on the Catskills that we talked about, you know, not too long ago with, that has Jerry Lewis in it. Uh, so, you know, I think all of them together will probably form a complete picture. And uh, it's just great. You know, there's, there's no question that the, the history of Jewish comics in America is a unique and distinctive one. And I'm just glad there it's being celebrated. Also from First Run Features uh, in their standard eco packaging. Uh, a couple of films here. One is not the, the, the documentary, but I'm including it just because it's first-run features. Uh, one is a documentary. The documentary is uh, An Unreal Dream, the Michael Morton story. If you uh, have ever never heard of Michael Morton, you should, because he's, he's one of these uh, exonerees, a guy who spent uh, 25 years in jail for murdering his wife, which he did not actually do. And uh, really extraordinary story, really nicely put together, great documentary, as is the film Lost Islands. Again, not a documentary, but a hugely successful Israeli film, really fun, uh, didn't get released here theatrically, and I'm kind of surprised that it it didn't. Uh, First One Features usually does do releases of stuff that they think they can uh, turn a good dime on, so there must not have been the perception that this this had much of an audience, but... I, I, it's from 2008, and I think it's really, really uh, quite fun. It takes place in the 1980s in Israel, and it's, a, it's just about a kind of a family holiday. Um, 
and it gives you a completely different point of view of Israel. It's a, in every every conceivable way. It just gives you a different portrait of Israeli society, and I think that's long overdue. So that's uh, that's pretty terrific. And then from uh, BBC Earth, got a bunch of nature documentaries here. Uh, the Bear Family and Me. I'll go through these really quickly. Bear Family and Me is really cute. Extreme Bears is terrifying. Those cancel each other out. Earth Flight uh, is just another one. This is a, a complete two-disc set, a whole series of this amazing BBC Earth, uh, just some of the best aerial photography of birds you'll ever see. I don't know. I don't know what these guys, like Winged Migration was a great documentary, but this is just more of the same, and it's unbelievable now with the cameras that they've got. Incredible. Like six continents. They're just shooting birds, and, and somehow they're like with the birds. It's amazing. And then uh, David Tennant narrates uh, Winged Planet, an Earth Flight film which is more amazing, unbelievable bird photography. It's just, these guys are amazing. Uh, the reason I recommend Earth Flight as opposed to Winged Planet and Earth Flight film is because Winged Planet is on DVD. Earth Flight, the complete series, is on Blu-ray and just will blow your mind. Absolutely blow your freaking mind. And by the way, as long as I'm talking about great Blu-ray photography... Hopefully, in the coming weeks, I will have some very interesting things to say regarding 4K. 4K televisions and Blu-ray and all this stuff. Because I've been doing a lot of research into this. I'm finding out a lot of very interesting things. You have a 4K TV, do you not? No, I don't. No. You don't? No, no, I no. thought you did. No, no, Are you going to no. buy a 4K TV? Maybe. Oh, so that, that's a, that's a tip-off. Maybe. That there's not enough advances in 4K to make the purchase. Well, you know, plot. here's the thing. Uh, it, it, all, it all hinges on HD, uh, HDMI 2.0. We're only at HDMI 1.4 right now. Just saying. And then lastly, Magnolia on uh, Blu-ray has Cocaine Cowboys Reloaded, The Untold Stories. Uh, you know what? I mean, this is deeply, deeply disturbing stuff. I don't know that everybody... It's well done, but I don't know that anybody really needs to be plunged back into this horrible, horrible world. Um, but it exists. We know it exists. We see the body count all the time. We know it continues to be a problem. So if you, if you want to really, really immerse yourself in the, in the muck of the drug trade, uh, I, by, the way, by all means, go ahead, do it. I just couldn't get through it more than about 10 minutes, and I was like, turning my stomach. Uh, Wait, let's talk about uh, two-time Oscar nominee, uh, August Osage County. This is the story of the world's most dysfunctional, annoying family. Oh, my gosh. You know, it's funny because the the, the movie... Didn't you just want to beat every one of them with a stick? Yeah. I just... The the movie starts with Sam Shepard as the matriarch of this family, literally killing himself. And and I thought, you know, if I had to live with these women, I'd kill myself, too. Yeah. Because it just doesn't end. I know. Now, the movie is based on a Pulitzer Prize winning play by Tracy Letts. And um, I have not seen August Osage County. However, I did see Tracy Letts um, in his Tony Award winning performance in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf on Broadway uh, in, in 2012. Right. And he was absolutely, unbelievably, unbelievably fantastic. One of the best performances on stage I've yep. ever seen. And he's also a playwright who's won a Pulitzer Prize. So the guy not only has won a Pulitzer Prize for writing, but he's won a Tony Award for acting. So the guy is incredibly talented. Uh, but this movie is just a bunch of actresses just hamming it up, going over the top, saying, give me an Oscar. Yeah. And uh, it's just draining. It's just I, it, too it, much. Uh, it, I, I, you know, Meryl Streep played a... Uh, look, she's got cancer in the movie. That doesn't tell you anything that, that everyone doesn't already know. Um, I, I swear, I remember when she played a cancer, you know, a mom dying from cancer in One True Thing. 
Did you, did you see that Carl Franklin movie? Renee Zellweger is yeah, the daughter. Forever and, ago, yeah. Yeah, and uh, William Hurt is her husband. You know, that that was like ninety seven, ninety eight, something like that. And she was really good in that. And she's dying and suffering, and and I just thought, oh, this is great. Suddenly, and I and I said this at our Film Week uh, Oscar show. I said it's like Meryl felt she wasn't cancerous enough in that film. She had to like dial it up to eleven and just be like the ultimate can like the the, can- the movie cancer patient cancer victim to end all it's, like no one will ever want to play a cancer victim again ever after this and it's just totally histrionic it's just histrionic on too a, much it's way over the top and Julia Roberts is over the top and I'm just thinking John Wells man you're a TV dude TV is usually about like bring it down how did he just how did he lose control of these actors? I don't know. But you know what? Uh, he had the same problem with his last film, the one um, Company Men. Yeah, he did. Which I didn't like that either. You know, yeah, but you know, but did. that was also very homebound. You know, yeah. it's not a, it's not a very expansive story. Yeah. And uh, I think he directs like he's still in TV. Yeah, true. You know, it's he true. doesn't really use the camera. He's not not big sweeping vistas. No big cinematic issues there going on. It's all yep. kind of just you know typical master shot, medium shot, close up TV stuff. True. You know, he's not a he's not a great chooser of material or uh, adapter of other people's material. True dat. What else we got? We got uh, The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smaug. Dud. 3D. No one cares. Forget you, it. You can get this in a Blu-ray Dud. 3D Dud. set, which includes Blu-ray 3D, Blu-ray and DVD, and Ultraviolet. Dud. Or you can get it in just a Blu-ray, DVD, and Ultraviolet set. Dud. I, uh, look... Uh, you're never going to be able to replicate the... And this gets into the whole 4K television thing that I'll be talking about shortly. Um, you're never going to be able to replicate the you know 120 hertz with the 60 frame 3D Dead. thing. It's never going to look the way that it does if you're seeing a 60 frame a second projected in the movies, which is why Peter Jackson and some others are, think they're going to save the movies by you know making it all look like a big, gigantic episode of Land of the Lost. Not going to happen. But that being said... I actually, I actually like these movies. Dead. I, 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 I got to be honest with you. I like the Hobbit movies more than the Lord of the Rings movies. I, I really I do. The Lord and of I didn't the Rings think movies, I, and I didn't think I would. They don't stand up. Now here's the thing. I, I, what I do like about the Hobbit movies is that I'm able to sort of enjoy them tongue in cheek. I, I have said this many times. What I love about these movies is that Bilbo Baggins is a total unreliable butterfingers. Do you realize that? He is a total butterfingers. He cannot be trusted to hang on to anything. Nothing at all. He drops everything. Now, Martin Freeman, I think, is great uh, as Bilbo. I think he's I, just I like wonderful. I like him as an actor. I think he's fun. I, can't, I look at him, and all I can think of is, Bilbo, I have seen you as a porn understudy. Remember? Right? You know what I'm talking about. Uh, Love Actually? Yes. See? Yes. Wiggles. Thank you. Um. Anyway, I I just he they, they hand him a key and he drops it. They they hand him uh, something to hold. Keep the hang on. He drops it and 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 every time he drops something, it rolls off a cliff. There's always a cliff around. He 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 can't drop anything when he's not around a cliff. Like if you drop it and oh I I dropped it. I'm gonna pick it up. Fine. But he drops it and it rolls and he dives after. It. Of course he doesn't get it every single time. It's the worst. It's uh, that's I how. Like pe- it is. You know what? <laughs> Just, ma- I, anyway. just make another Star Trek film. Smaug is a yeah, Smaug, Smaug. Smaug is a is a dragon. Smaug sounds like a Muppet character. Smaug is a dragon. God. He's a dragon uh, who is voiced by the actor of the moment, um, who is you know playing absolutely everything, Benedict Cumberbatch. 
And I, I remember seeing Benedict Cumberbatch, and I'm like, ooh, what's, what's he playing in this? And then the movie ends, and I'm like, Benedict Cumberbatch wasn't... Oh, he's the dragon. Wow. Anyway, look, there's no reason why The Hobbit... The Hobbit is a book that's like a fraction of the length of the size of any of the other Lord of the Rings books, and yet they're turning it into three movies. It's just all drawn out with set pieces, but for some reason, I actually enjoy these movies. They dud. don't. They don't bore lame. me. They don't super bore lame. Me. Super dud. Don't like them. Go away. Yeah. Uh, speaking of go away, uh, we talked last week about how De Niro will do anything in the world yes, ever. Too, Means true. nothing. He is. He is the least discriminating actor ever. Yep. He has destroyed his reputation, and his reputation is further destroyed yeah, in Grudge Match, where uh, Jake LaMotta gets to fight Rocky Balboa. Oh my gosh! Why? Why? Why did they do this? Why did With, they do uh, this? Also, co-stars Kevin Hart, Alan Arkin, <laughs> and Basinger. Defecates on my favorite actors in boxing movies from the seventies and. 80s. I mean, you know, I, it's like look, you had look Brando did a fun job <sighs> sending up. His Godfather role in The Freshman. Yes, he did. That was fun. Yes, it was. Okay, can't beat that. No. Uh, now is does and and, and 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 in fairness, in the movie Tough Guys, Kirk Douglas and Burt Lancaster did a great job sending up their reputations as tough guys in you know the nineteen fifties and sixties. That's cool. That was cool too. I was all into that. Now De Niro doing another boxing. Because I, I, you, you, you can see, because De Niro is just not discriminating at all, you can just see him being taken by the, by the punchline, by the yes. one-liner. It, it's like Jake LaMotta versus Rocky Balboa. Oh, my God. I know. This it's is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Do it ridiculous. now before you're too old. Yeah. And he's, oh, I've got another restaurant. i got a bankroll. Sure, I'll do it now. Terrible. Yeah. Anyway. What, what's, um, what's weird is that, that when you watch this movie... Robert De Niro, do you realize Robert De Niro is only three years older than Sylvester Stallone? Doesn't he look like he's like 30 years older? It's just it's it's he hasn't cared for himself, isn't he? I mean, Stallone, it, it, it looks good. Yeah, but Stallone is like, he's got, he's got a lot of work done. So what? He's Mickey Rourke-esque. Yeah, but you know what? It's, it, it, look, I'd rather look the way that he, will, that he looks than look the way that De Niro looks. Neither, neither of them. That's not true. Because you know what? De Niro, in the right role, he, he grows out his hair a little bit, combs it back. When I say looks, he, when I say looks, he looks cool I, when he wants to. Like in the family, yeah. in, in, right, he looks cool. Let me translate. I don't want either of them taking their shirts off. Yes, you do. But, but if one of them is going to take his shirt off, it may as well be Stallone. At least, I, at least when Stallone takes his shirt off, I go, eh, you know, he looks, used to look good. De Niro takes his shirt off, I go, ooh, cover up. Uh, speaking of cover-up, why don't you take the Paranormal Activity, the marked, the marked ones, uh, Blu-ray, and cover it up uh, in a ditch because they tried to breathe some new life into this franchise, and you know what? Aye. It's just not going to work. It's derivative, and uh, it's half-baked, and it's silly. It needs to die. And it just needs to go away. It needs I under- to go away. I understand. I understand Paramount. They're cheap. And they make a lot. They make a lot of money relative to how much it costs. But still, let's face it. It's over. Stop it. This whole found footage thing is just. I know. I mean, how much footage is there to find in the world? I know. It's just too much. Anyway, so paranormal activities, the marked ones, uh, marked ones. They look. It, it's it's just silly. Two disc set. Disc two is the DVD. Disc one is the Blu-ray with an unrated version and a theatrical version and a bunch of quote-unquote found footage. Uh, don't need this on Blu-ray. It's a found footage movie, so the whole idea is that it doesn't... What? What are you laughing at? I don't know. Yeah. It's the email that Tim sent me about Nurse. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'll tell you in a second. 
Oh my okay. gosh. Well, also on Blu-ray is a uh, movie called Best Night Ever, which is uh, truly, truly terrible. It's, um, yes. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's I don't want to hear you laugh. That's too funny. Okay. Anyway, it's a bunch of, uh, bunch of women, including a bride-to-be, who go to Vegas for a bachelorette party, and uh, Best Night Ever is really incredibly unfunny. I-, I wonder if these films are supposed to be like somehow empowering to women who realize that they can have a movie based on their wants and needs and desires and them being funny and them being out there yeah. and making their own decisions. Yeah. And I get all that, but you know what? This, this is just crap. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was directed by two guys. It was written by two guys, and it's just incredibly unfunny. And, uh, you know, it's just the worst. Best Night Ever is the worst. It, it stars nobody I care about. Um, yeah, Desiree Hall. I don't know who these people are. Just dreadful. Just All right. dreadful. So, so I'm going to blow through uh, three films here and uh, real quickly. And the first of them is Nurse 3D. Your pain is her pleasure. Now, this comes with Blu-ray 3D and 2D along with Ultraviolet. Let me tell you a little bit about this. This is a totally unbelievably over-the-top, campy, really bad throwback to exploitation 3D movies. Uh, The reason this is in 3D is so that you can essentially have uh, scalpels hurtling at at your eyeballs through the screen. This is a 3D movie like they were originally conceived to be, where everything is poking you. Uh, Somebody falls down within the first few seconds of the movie and gets impaled on a spike on a fence. And, of course, as they are impaled, you get plunged right on top of that spike. It comes right into your eyes. So that's the the only reason that uh, that Nurse is in 3D. Um, It stars Paz de la Huerta. Mark, are you familiar with Paz de la Huerta? Yeah, she was kind of a hottie for a while. Well, well, still hottie now. The whole idea here is that she. This is almost like everyone in this movie is an escapee from some 1970s uh, Brian De Palma movie. She is a nurse who walks around basically wearing a push-up bra and in uh, stiletto heels, which immediately tells you that she's she's a scary nurse. Uh, She's she's basically a serial killer nurse who had some kind of a psychotic episode when she was younger, and you learn about that as the film goes along. And there's a new nurse that she develops this, like, lesbian attraction to, and, of course, doesn't want to, you know, love her. And so, you know, once you, you've spurned the nurse, good luck. You're on the, she's going to go after every man that you care about. But Paz de la Huerta's performance in this, I, I, you, you can't figure out if she's being sultry and vixen on that she's taking it on uh, seriously that she's just trying to be really kind of a little bit edgy or if she's intentionally going so far over the top as so as to just make the movie completely and utterly ridiculous in every conceivable way i'm hoping it's the latter anyway tim and i (laughs) talk about this on the radio and it's an okay, you know, the Blu-ray transfer, whatever. You're not getting this movie because of the quality of the transfer. You're getting it for the 3D. <laughs> and then Martin Donovan. Martin Donovan shows up in this thing. He gets killed fairly quickly. But you're like, what? So, <laughs> so Tim, when we're going back and forth with our emails for Film Week, kind of getting, you know, have you seen this? Have you seen that? And one of the films was, you know, A Field in England, the new Ben Wheatley film, which is fantastic, by the way. Really, really super cool. Psychedelic, cool, period, you know, British Civil War movie. Anyway. He says to me, writes me an email. He says, dude, what's wrong with the lead chicken nurse? Is she autistic? Is English not her first language? Why, why am I forced to look at her twat a lot? Is her pee what's supposed to be in 3D? 
<laughs> Thank you for not reading that out loud in its entirety. Because there, there are huge long stretches of the movie where she walks out not wearing any pants. She's got like a top on, but she's not wearing any pants. And she'll walk around the room just not wearing any pants. And the, the, this other actress is there and apparently not really bothered by the fact that Paz de la Huerta is walking around in stiletto heels not wearing any pants. So what you're saying is that that movie is our recommendation of the week. It's like... A beautiful what is, girl with no pants. <laughs> what is there a problem with that? What are you doing? It just, it's, is, this, is this supposed to be sexy? I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. Is she autistic? Is English not her first language? Oh my gosh. She has this just bizarre affectation. It was just—he he sent me that email. I, I laughed for maybe twenty-five minutes solid. It just killed me. So funny. Anyway, uh, real quickly, a, a horrible movie called *Cavemen*, which is out on Blu-ray from uh, Welgo. I admire the fact that Welgo is trying to expand beyond uh, just Hong Kong and uh, Thai and Japanese action films. But man, this just makes no no sense at all. This is about a bunch of guys. They're all players, right? And uh, stars Skylar Austin, Camila Bell, Chad Michael Murphy, uh, Dio Okaniyi, Alexis Knapp, and Kenny Wormald, which means nobody you should ever have heard of. Anyway, uh, but, you know, w- one of them, Skylar Austin, he, he decides, I, uh, man, I, I need to find more fulfilling relationship. I need to, I need to, I can't just be like hanging out with chicks anymore. And it's a weird thing because these guys all live in a loft and they all kind of do women in, in adjacent beds with, that have curtains between them. And it's, it's just idiotic. And I've seen enough of these movies that are all set in L.A. about guys, you know, who are just playing the women and one of them needs something more meaningful. It's been told a billion times it ain't fresh, and I'm sorry. And then uh, Snake and Mongoose was uh, probably rightly overshadowed by Rush, but it's a similar story to Rush. Uh, came out. This is an independent film. It's uh, you know obviously much less slick, but a, an interesting story nonetheless. It's about the uh, this incredible rivalry in uh, drag racing history that is comparable to what Ron Howard did in Rush, and uh, Don the Snake Prudhomme and uh, Tom the Mongoose McEwen. And it's, uh, you know, look, could be better. It's got some, some good performances in it. Tim Blake Nelson shows up. Fred Dreyer shows up. Noah Wiley shows up. They're just in it briefly. But it's, a, it's an interesting story. And uh, if you're a, a drag racing aficionado, you're probably worth checking out. Uh, apart from those cameos, you know, nobody in here that you've ever heard of or ever should have heard of. But it's pretty well done. It's all right. That being said. Oh, Wade. Yes, sir. Lizzie Borden. Yes. Everyone knows the story of Lizzie Borden. She was a, uh, in the 1890s, she supposedly murdered her parents with an axe. Oh, yes. Yeah, I remember in the 70s, there was a, uh, there was a movie with Elizabeth Montgomery as Lizzie Borden, and uh, it was very well received. This movie we're about to talk about, Lizzie Borden Took an Axe, is not so well received. In fact, it's terrible. Christina Ricci plays Lizzie Borden. And, uh, you know, she's got those crazy eyes. The thing is that when you cast Christina Ricci in a role like Lizzie Borden, yep. the moment she flashes those crazy eyes, you realize that this is not like a psychological portrait. Mm-hmm. It's just like the story of a crazy girl who kills her family. Yep. And that's just, you know, if you're going to make a straight horror film, sure. Mm. But this is supposedly a more psychological take, which is just a bunch of BS. So um, Lizzie Borden uh, took an axe, not... Great. However, the story of Lizzie Borden, the true story of Lizzie Borden, is a good one. So you might want to check that out uh, elsewhere. Even the uh, Elizabeth Montgomery um, uh, movie, The Legend of Lizzie Borden, which I don't yeah. think is on Blu-ray or DVD or anything. Ooh. Um, that, that's better I, than that. I, maybe that might be on YouTube somewhere. Yeah, maybe. 
Uh, we're going to get into some classic movies uh, that are now out and uh, some stuff from Olive that I want to blow through uh, real quickly. we got a big one coming up in a little bit, but some stuff from Olive. Uh, Bang Bang, You're Dead with Tony Randall and Herbert Lom and the wonderful Wilfred Hyde White. Um, pretty cool. Uh, this movie was from 1966. It's very swingery, very cool. Uh, you know, Tony Randall did make a few movies. He wasn't just a TV guy. And, uh, yeah, I, it's, uh, it's, you know, from the whole kind of uh, marginally inspired James Bond era. But uh, and it's shot, actually, by a guy who did uh, a James Bond film, the uh, cinematographer from On Her Majesty's Secret Service. But, it, yeah, it's, it's perfectly fine. I mean, it's not, uh, it's not uh, you know, charade or anything like that, but it's, uh, it's worth checking out. And then we also have The Bamboo Saucer. With uh, John Erickson, Bob Hastings, Bernard Fox, Lois Nettleton, uh, Dan Duryea. Uh This is uh, a little bit dated. It's uh, kind of a UFO thing. You know, you're, they go to China to find a flying saucer. Eh, 1968 doesn't quite hold up, but it is a, it's kind of a weird artifact piece. I guess it's, uh, it's got some cachet. Uh, Cry Danger, directed by Robert Parrish, who was a really good workman-like guy back in the day, uh, starring Dick Powell and Rhonda Fleming. Um, Rhonda Fleming, by the way, you know what her claim to fame is, don't you? Oh, yeah, she's Mr. and Mrs. Fleming's kid. No, Rhonda Fleming married Ted Mann of Mann Theaters. What? Yep. She was Rhonda Fleming Mann. Uh, anyway, this is a uh, this is a decent film noir. You know, uh, Dick Powell did a, did a few of those, and he was kind of a kind of like a second tier bogey in some respects. And uh, it's always nice to see him do uh, do film noir. Um, you know, again, not first rate film noir, but uh, Robert Parrish was a real workman like guy. And you know, it's only seventy nine minutes, so definitely worth checking out. And then Doris Day and Frank Sinatra in the lovely Young at Heart, which uh, I think is a totally underrated movie. Also includes Dorothy Malone, Gig Young, and Ethel Barrymore. And, uh, it, the, the, you know, it's a melodrama, but there's absolutely no reason that you should dismiss it for that reason because it just has a great performance by Doris Day and a really, really wonderful performance by Frank Sinatra. Both of them great actors, underrated actors, and uh, really, really, really nicely shot, by the way, by... Um, Ted McCord, who uh, did The Sound of Music. So all of those are on Blu-ray from Olive Films, who continues to mine really, really, really good material, primarily from the uh, Paramount catalog. So Paramount, please keep those, those vaults open, because if you're not going to touch this stuff, I want Olive going all the way with it. Wait, we have some uh, old-school classics to talk about. Yeah. In a box set now, um, we have, from the good folks at um, Screen Factory... The Amityville Horror Trilogy. Now, this is the original Amityville Horror. Yeah. 1979. By the way, I lived on Long Island uh, about 20 minutes away from Amityville when this, when this thing actually happened. Re- when it happened? Yeah. Really? I was living on, living had on Long Island. no idea. I was living on Long Island. Good deal. Where Amityville is. Actually, my uncle had a house in Amityville. No kidding. And uh, at the time. Anyway, um, Amityville Horror, Amityville Horror, Amityville Horror 2, The Possession, and Amityville 3D. Um... Only the first one is worth anything. It's with James Brolin and uh, Margot Kidder. Uh, the rest of them are throwaways. Um, but the original struck a chord. It really did. People yeah, liked did. that movie. You know what? It was kind of scary. Uh, it was a big story at the time. Because this is the 70s, and you're talking about you know psychic things, and mm-hmm. horrors, and ghosts, and whatever. And it really struck a chord with the nation. Um, now, there was a documentary whose name I cannot remember. It came out last year, I believe. And uh, it, it's, it's an interview with the... Um, with one of the kids, and uh, the whole thing was just a bunch of crap. 
the whole Anvil Hall, like, you know, the, the whole haunted house thing, you know, things going yeah. up in the night. Yeah. It was all, it's all, it's all a big, it's just a big joke. It was all, it was all orchestrated by the dad. Anyway, um, The Eagle Has Landed is a really cool film that is finally on Blu-ray. It's from 1976. It was, it was pretty much the last good film, if not the last film directed by John Sturgis. Um, check out this cast. Michael Caine. Robert Duvall, Donald Sutherland. It's all about this. Um, it's based on a book, and it's all about this German plot to kidnap Winston Churchill during World War II. And uh, I think this movie's cool. You Sweet. Know, it looks good on Blu-ray. Um, they found a pretty decent print. Um, it's got a bunch of special features. So Shout Factory did a great job on this. Um, it's got a location report. It's got the trailer. It's got on-location interviews with Michael Caine and Sutherland and John Sturgis. Um, it's got a new interview with Tom Mankiewicz, the screenwriter. And uh, it's great. I think Eagle Has Landed is totally, totally cool. Old school, World War II, platoon fun. Good deal. I, uh, I, I concur. Finally, from 1995, we have the cult sci-fi kind of hit Tank Girl. Just, I hate this movie. I, I know a lot why? of people love it. It's one of those kind of uh, super... It was one of the first movies to be all super like comic booky, where it just sort of erupts into comic bookness at random moments and, and just... It, 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 it really lost me. It was just over the top. And I'm not a huge Lori Petty fan. I well, like her. It was directed like by a woman, which own. is kind of unusual. Yeah. You know, especially this kind of a film. Rachel Talalay is her... Yeah. Uh, is her um, is her name, and she really didn't direct much after that. No. Uh, except, it, really, she did some stuff as a producer, but um, really not much as a director. Anyway, the movie takes place in 2033, and uh, there's been a comet that hits the Earth, and there's now no more water, which means there's no more cable TV, and no more movies, and there's no nothing. Malcolm McDowell plays the guy who leads water and power, so he has the control of the world's water supply, and it's all about Tank Girl and um, Malcolm McDowell going head-to-head. And uh, there's an audio commentary on this, which is pretty good with Laurie Petty and Rachel Talalay. And uh, look, obviously, as Wade tells you, it is a, this movie is a uh, acquired taste. It's definitely got cult written all over it. Um, I'm not a fan of this film either, but uh, people love it. It also stars Ice-T. This is 1995 Ice-T. This is back when Ice-T was still kind of like a rapper, as opposed to now when he's kind of like sold out to the man. He's, he's, he's a TV star. It's also a Naomi Watts. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. Tank Girl. All right. And then also, uh, these came out last year, but uh, we missed covering them, and we're able to cover them uh, a little bit after the fact. And I want to make a point of covering them, because you got to get both of these. They are awesome. Uh, collector's edition of The Shadow, starring Alec Baldwin, a pre-ha-ha Alec Baldwin when he was still trying to be an action star. And a special edition of The Duelists, that's which cool. is freaking awesome. Uh, now, The Shadow, based, on, obviously, on the old, uh, the old uh, pulp character... Um, it, it re, you know brought up to the present day and all kind of burnished with uh, Russell Mulcahy behind the camera, kind of trying to get his uh, get his mojo back after you know kind of falling out of the graces of Highlander. Um, I'm surprised the Shadow didn't really kind of jumpstart his career again because I thought it was really really cool. I think there's some great stuff in it. I thought Alec Baldwin really nailed it, but I guess people just weren't ready to see an old uh, kind of 30s era character resurrected yet it didn't do the marvel thing somehow maybe it was just not quite he's not cool because he's not superhero spandexy like super nerd cool yeah you know he's a little too quaint and old well, school he's, he's for kind modern of, audiences yeah, he's a little phantomy uh, you know he's just he's not a superhero but he's yeah. not like a straight detective i don't know what he is well, anyway, it's, it's a film definitely worth rediscovering, and uh, I think it's super cool. looks really great on Blu-ray. Um, Mulcahy, when he nails it, he nails it really well. 
and lots of new interviews here and a, and a, and a trailer, and it's a, it's a nice transfer. Duelists, of course, is Ridley Scott's debut film uh, with Keith Carradine and Harvey Keitel, and uh, it's it's pretty it's great. great. Yep. It's pretty great. Holds this was it really holds up. This was produced by David Putnam, who uh, of course had you know run the advertising firm in the UK that Ridley Scott got his training in. You know, he I mean Putnam. People don't realize this. Putnam had an advertising firm in the UK uh, with a stock of directors that included Ridley Scott, Tony Scott, Adrian Lyne, uh, Alan Parker, Hugh Hudson. I mean, you know, that's how these guys all became big directors because Putnam became a big producer and started pulling all of his guys in to, you know, direct movie. Roland Joffe, you know, that's... Well, well also, well, good look. I mean, look at, look at some of the films he produced. Yeah. Killing Fields, right, obviously. Killing Fields. Chance of Fire, the biggest yep. one. The Mission. One, one best picture. Yep. The Mission. Also, he did Midnight Express. Yep. And... Bugsy Malone. That's right, which Alan Parker directed as well. That was his debut film. So, I mean, The Duelist is a, is a really cool film. Uh, and uh, it was a big deal in 1977 at the Cannes Film Festival. Consi- it won an award as Best Debut Film, uh, which was an award they had then because they didn't have the camera door sponsored by Kodak, which is what that award basically is now. But uh, it's great. It's the whole kind of, you know, whole Napoleonic era dueling thing. It's just really, really cool. And uh, if you're a fan of the Sharps thing uh, series, the Sharps movies with uh, Sean Bean that uh, often air on British television and that are now out on Blu-ray and DVD, uh, you'll totally get into it. It's the same kind of thing. And man, Harvey Keitel really nails it in this. He's, he's surprisingly good uh, in, in this kind of a part, which you don't normally associate him with. And Keith Carradine as well. Really good. So the movie totally holds up. And, uh, you know, it's funny. Ridley was... We forget how old Ridley is. He's in his seventies. He was already in his forties when he directed I that know. movie. Well, because he had spent so many years doing doing you know, commercials. commercials and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. But of course, Prometheus Two supposed to happen. I know. Isn't that weird? It's just bizarre to me. Uh, and then uh, let me uh, crank through uh, some of these other classic films because I want there are a few other things I want to get to here. Uh, Warner Archive stuff. Uh, some really good Warner Archive stuff. Uh, the Americanization of Emily, great Julie Andrews movie with James Garner and Melvin Douglas, is out on Blu-ray from the Warner Archive. They pick very few films to, to give the Blu-ray treatment to from the Warner Archive collection. And uh, this is one of them. And I, I'm like, wow, how about that? An Arthur Hiller film gets the Blu-ray treatment. Uh, good. That's just strange. Uh, anyway, this is, a, uh, this is a really, really, really sweet comedy written by uh, Petty Chayefsky. And directed by Arthur Hiller, obviously, and um, it's just, uh, it's a lot of fun. It really is. It's, a, it's an old-fashioned, uh, you know, Chayefsky comedy piece, uh, just like they just don't make them anymore. And it's really funny, and it kind of goes in that Mr. Uh, Rod, Mr. Roberts vein of war comedies. It's really great. I, I love it, uh, especially Julie Andrews. She's just, she can do no wrong. And then a bunch of Joan Crawford movies, um, the uh, Our Blushing Brides with Robert Montgomery and uh, Dorothy Sebastian, and uh, The Bride Wore Red with uh, Franchot Tone and Robert Young, and um, uh, The Last of Mrs. Cheney, which also stars um, uh, Robert Montgomery and William Powell. These are all absolutely fantastic uh, MGM films. You know, Joan Crawford was an MGM player at the time. And it just, it's, it's a young Joan Crawford, and she just kills it in every single one of them. 
And then we've also got uh, the 1930 MGM classic, The Big House, uh, which also includes an alternate French and Spanish language uh, versions that were filmed at the same time. And that's the real reason to watch this. It's, um, it's, it, you know, it's essentially a prison film set in 1800, but the fact that they made it in three languages at once, because it was 1930 and nobody wanted to sort of lose the audiences that they had in the silent era, early talkies, a lot of them, as they did with you know, Dracula and a few others, they were shot in multiple languages simultaneously. And this is a fascinating, fascinating um, uh, case in point. So that's definitely worth checking out. And then less to my taste, but you know, if you guys are into it, anybody who's into the old Western things, Tim Holt, Western Classics Collection, Volume 4. A lot of old, cheesy, cheap, quick uh, uh, Westerns that they just cranked out. These are all programmers. And there's a, just a bunch of them here. And, you know, three discs, nine movies, none of them are very good. But uh, if, if you're kind of a fan of the whole Tim Holt thing, I know there's, there are people who, have, who are kind of, you know, they're into it. They'll do any, anything that's Western. They're all over. Wade, you know what I'm all over? What are you all over? The King of Comedy, Wade. Finally, I know. From 1983. This is, uh, this is a very, um, Scorsese had a weird little moment where he, he did like um, yeah. After Hours I know. and King of Comedy. It was kind of like these stylish over-the-top comedies and this is great De Niro plays a uh, guy schlub who is obsessed with a talk show host played by Jerry Lewis Rupert Pupkin Rupert Pupkin and so De Niro really wants a slot doing his stand-up on on, on Rupert on um, Jerry Lewis's show Jerry Lewis says no so De Niro kidnaps him Man, it is a creepy movie. It's a creepy movie, and it includes the great line, better to be king for a night than schmuck for a lifetime. Mm. And uh, this is a great film. It's so terrific. Sandra Bernhardt plays a uh, 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 De Niro's um, accomplice in kidnapping Jerry Lewis, and it's terrific. I, it's I funny, tell it's you, creepy, it's weird. It's the, scene, the scene where he, in, he, he invades his house... Just kind of invites himself in with the, with the date and Jerry. I, it, that scene is so well staged. It is so uncomfortable. There's that. There, there's these long takes. It is. It's. And the funny thing is, uh, Scorsese doesn't have the same appreciation for the film as he does for his other films. Well, because it's not as big an epic, and, and it doesn't say as much. He's, he's he's on record as saying that he got worried while he was making it because he quote unquote had to keep reinventing his enthusiasm for the subject matter. But and the subject matter. But the thing is that the subject matter is something that he usually doesn't delve into, which is like, yeah. like uh, you know, celebrity obsession, media culture. That's not a theme he's it's hit not, in his other movies. But it's such a good movie, and it's just so weird that he felt like he didn't, like he 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 was losing interest in his own movie while he was making it. It's just it's strange that he he because I, I think it's one of his best films. I mean, I think oh, it's, definitely. I think it's definitely one of his best films, and perhaps because. He had to work at appreciating it. You know, you, you sort of don't feel like he's resting on his laurels. I think, I think he's really kind of really trying to keep himself attuned to it. He's maybe focused better. And it's maybe something he should consider doing more often. Anyway, it's a great movie. It's a great it's, movie. Instead of resting on his laurels, he should really rest on his hardies. Hoti har har Anyway, um, next, finally on Blu-ray, folks, Norma Ray. Now, Norma Ray, it's a terrific film. Sally Field, of course, won an Oscar. Uh, yeah, somehow, there's also one a best song Oscar, which is like what? Yeah. You heard that? Have you heard that song lately? You Actually, go, I know. I, I rewatched this. It's good. It holds up. Yeah, but she's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, well, look, Martin Ritt. We talked. We've talked about him, you know, uh, earlier too. But but he he. It's it. Uh, I'm sorry. It, it, it this, the song sucks. It does. She's she's great in it. The movie's good. I mean, yes, it, it holds up. But the song is like what? Although Ron Lieben is a very strange looking man. 
He is. He has like he? the overbite. And yeah. He's so Jewish looking, and I can say that as a Jew. I like him though. Yeah, he's, he's a good actor. He's good. Anyway, this is great. She's fantastic. It's a pro-union drama, so just know that if uh, you're uh, if you're if you're turning off Fox News right now to go rent this, <laughs> just know it's a pro-union drama. Uh, it's great. It's serious. It's intelligent. It has a heart. She's wonderful. And, uh, yeah, she plays a woman who stands up for herself and her uh, fe- uh, fellow southern mill workers and uh, getting them to unionize. Right on. Total Hollywood story. Right on. So back in 1979, when uh, the rest of us were watching um, Star Trek Motion Picture, a lot of people apparently were watching the Jesus film, uh, known at the time as just Jesus. It was made in 1979. And this is a really interesting history to this movie because, and I mention this now because you know uh, the, the, the religious movies are kind of all the rage right now, right? You got you got your Noah, Noah and you got God your God isn't, God's not dead. Yeah, you got son your, of God. Yeah, 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 Son of God. But you know another Jesus movie out recently, uh, which is edited down from the uh, the Bible miniseries, uh, which is kind of cheesy. And then uh, and then of course your your best friend in the world, uh, Greg Kinnear, is in uh, is heaven for real, right? Is that the name of the thing? It's coming uh, out soon. Oh, is, is that come out? That's no. co- it's coming out. Yes, it's going to be coming out. It's going to make like a billion dollars or oh, something because yeah. Greg's going to be uh, the biggest star in the world or something. No, he's not. Right? Anyway, so the, the 35th anniversary of this thing, it finally comes out on, uh, on Blu-ray. And it's, uh, it's a really curious film. I'm not sure how good it is. It's based on, mostly based on the Gospel of Luke. Um, it, uh, it stars a, a fairly well-known Shakespearean actor at the time named Brian Deacon playing Jesus, who does a good job. It's, it's, a, it's an odd movie, though. It's, it's fairly awkwardly directed. It's very, very uh, safe, very, you know, G-rated and very, you know, faith-affirming and very biblically safe and sort of plays to the, you know, really plays to the bleachers and, and doesn't uh, take any chances. It is not Last Temptation of Christ. It is not even, uh, you know, the Mel Gibson film. It's, it's very, very, you know, very Sunday school. So, uh, but it was, you know, basically this movie has been seen by huge numbers of people because it was made by a guy who started a, um, a businessman in 1945 named Bill Bright who started a, uh, a ministry that went on for decades and he started the Campus Crusade for Christ uh, in the 1950s and then used that to essentially get this movie made in the 1970s and apparently this thing has been shown like nonstop at church groups and, uh, and religious organizations for, for decades now. And so there's no telling how many people have actually seen this or how much they've actually paid for it because it's kind of off the radar, you know what I mean? It's like uh, it's this like underground success. So it can make these claims uh, to being the most watched film in history, which, you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show and Deep Throat both also made that claim and both also had kind of an underground um, uh, success that is hard to verify. So anyway, interesting film. Uh, obviously not for everybody, uh, pretty much just for preaching to the choir, quite literally. But the uh, that's the Jesus film, which is uh, now out in a Blu-ray edition. Quite nicely done. They really decked it out for its 35th anniversary. And uh, Ernie Hudson hosts a, a little documentary on the, the film's impact. And then you also get uh, you know a little bit find the featurette thing from 2006 and some some notes. So um, you know that's uh, you go look that up, and it, it claims to have been seen more than six billion times. So who knows? But uh, with that, Mark, we are done. And uh, what? We, yes, we are. We are done. And uh, are, are you going to feed me something next week? I don't know, Wade, because you know what? I, what? I, I I'm telling you the truth. Yeah. I have gained ten pounds in the last six weeks. Have you really? Yeah, gained ten pounds. Is that celebratory weight or is that grief weight? Oh, I, it, it's got to be celebratory weight. Okay. 
That well girlfriend then. was crazy. <laughs>